0: You are listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so glad you're here, as always. Today I had the wonderful experience of sitting down with the talented poet and bestselling author Maggie Smith to discuss her latest book, We Could Make This Place Beautiful. This powerful collection of poetry explores themes of loss, transformation, and resilience. And I was so excited to delve into these topics with her and hear more about her personal experience as a writer and poet. So sit back, relax, and join us as we explore the beauty and complexity of the human experience through the lens of poetry. Maggie, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited. I'm truly excited to have you back on. Oh, it's good to be back. It's good to see you. Absolutely. Now, we spoke, it was a couple years ago, about your then-new book, Keep Moving, Notes on Loss, Creativity, and Change. And quite a lot has changed since then. Your new book, We Could Make This Place Beautiful, has already been a huge success. Um, Can you talk about the inspiration for the book um, and what you hope the words convey to the reader?
1: Yeah, I mean, Keep Moving was sort of the how do I press through and move forward through this difficult time. And um, the memoir, You could Make This Place Beautiful, is the, is the looking back and the reckoning with the past and trying to make sense of it for myself. So when I started writing the memoir, I thought the central question of the book was, what happened, right? Like I thought it was some sort of mystery I could solve. And if I spent enough time and energy and thought, and mind, and heart, thinking about my adult life, and my marriage, and my role as a wife, and a mom, and a writer, and all of these things that I would somehow have it all figured out. I would have all the answers, and then I could just set it down, and not grieve the divorce, not grieve sort of what was going on. And as I started writing it, I realized how naive that was, because of course, I can't have all the answers. I'm only Mm -hmm. one person in in the story and i don't i don't have access to all the information i would need in order to have it you know quote all figured out and so really the question of the book became not what happened you know in my marriage or to my marriage the question became what happened to me mm. in my marriage like where did i go um how did i lose parts of myself that were not small parts but actually essential parts. And then the question is like, okay, then how do I get that stuff back? How do I, um, excavate those parts? And so it it became more of an excavation of self than like a solving of, of a problem, um, and I think, you know, I told a friend when when I turned the book in, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen with this book. It's very particular to me. Mm-hmm. It's structured in a, in a sort of unconventional way. It may not be what, what people expect from me, although I am a poet primarily. So maybe this is exactly what you would expect from a poet's memoir in, in vignettes. But I said, the thing that I really want most for this book is for one person, just one, let's think small, to pick it up and read it. And, and when they're done with it to feel seen, mm-hmm. you know, like somebody else gets it, even if their experience didn't completely mirror mine. And frankly, I hope there aren't a lot of people out there whose experience is completely mirror mine, because it was it was painful. But I've heard it again and again, um, in the month that the book's been out, like, I feel so seen, or this really hits for me, or what my experience was slightly different, but the emotions
0: mm-hmm.
1: were almost exactly the same, or I'm still happily married, or mostly happily married. But what you talk about as far as your work and your expectations of you at home, really mirrors my experience and makes me want to have some tough conversations with my spouse. And so it's already kind of outperforming (laughs)
0: what I hoped, what I hoped it would do. Yeah. Is that, is it surprising to you that there has been such a great response to the book so early on? Like I know your, your very first poem, Good Bones went viral. So that was kind of like the big one, but this is like, this is even bigger than that. I feel like everywhere I turn, people are talking about this book.
1: It's really strange. I mean, when, when Good Bones went viral, that that poem was from my third book. So I was used to like writing mostly Mm -hmm. for myself and other poets, right? Like it's a pretty small audience, the people who really read and are super involved with poetry. So um, my writing life, it was a huge part of my personal life, but my writing career was small before that poem. Um, and that felt like a one-off like, Oh, well that I've peaked, you know, that was 2016. I was like, I've peaked. That's the biggest thing that's ever going to happen to my writing life. Nobody's ever going to read anything else I write as, as much as they read that poem. And I actually still believe that to be true. Many, many more people have read that poem than have read this book or keep moving or Goldenrod, or anything else I've written. Um, but when keep moving happened i was really surprised by re- the response and i thought oh no actually there's still mm-hmm. there's still an audience out there for all of these different things i don't have to keep writing the same stuff over and over again thank goodness because i'm not going to do that i can i can try different things and follow my heart and go with my gut and there there are people who will be like eagerly receiving that, which is a really nice thing. So yes, I was. Um, I'm still, in some ways, sort of flummoxed by how well this book has done. I never had it on my on my list of dreams um, to have a New York Times bestseller, and I certainly didn't think it would be this, you know, memoir and vignettes mm. about the unraveling of my marriage and sort of finding myself and parenting through the aftermath. I did not think it would be this book by any stretch of the imagination.
0: (laughs) Do you remember the moment when you were doing like this, this cathartic process of writing through everything that was going on when you realized like, oh, this is something special. This could be a book.
1: Well, I knew I was writing a book. Um, uh, There are pieces of You Could Make This Place Beautiful that predate the writing of the memoir, which is to say there are poems in here that I wrote in the past. There is an essay that I published in the New York Times um, that I then pulled into this book. There are a couple of essays I wrote about miscarriage and postpartum depression that I published in anthologies or literary magazines before this book. So there are pieces of it that existed beforehand. Um, but when I sat down to write this book, I knew it was, it was going to be a memoir because, Mm -hmm. um, that was what I had agreed and pitched to write. So, um, that didn't sneak up on me necessarily, but I did, um, As I started writing the individual pieces and then assembling them, I started to get really excited about it because I thought, you know, I think Toni Morrison said something about if if you need a book and it doesn't exist, that's the book you write. Mm -hmm. And I was reading a lot of memoirs um, and there were a lot of them that did things that were innovative with form and that also pushed the, the envelope with content and we're really vulnerable and so i got permission from a lot of other people's books to do what i wanted to do but there wasn't any book that was doing what this book did and so it was scary and at the same time exciting for me because i thought well i don't know i'm kind of i'm kind of busting things up genre wise a little bit here like there isn't a book that i can say well this book looks like mine and it did well I didn't have the ability to do that. So we were kind of like making something new, which Keep Moving also kind of did. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a its own category. Um, and that's always a risk. And you can fall flat on your face with a book that doesn't look like other books. Or you can be pleasantly surprised and find that there's room on people's bookshelves for something new. And so luckily, the the, the latter <laughs>
0: happened. Have you always been a bit of a rebel in that, in that way with your writing, with your (laughs) approach? I don't know. I don't know if I, if I'd even call it rebellious,
1: although I guess maybe it is. I think I, I like, um, I don't want to say uncompromising, but I like, I have a clear vision usually for what I want a thing to be. Mm -hmm. And um, I was talking to my friend, um, Saeed Jones, at one of my book events. And, you know, he's he's written books of poems, and he's also published a beautiful memoir. And I, I said, you know, when I sat down to write this book, I had to do it as myself. And that means as a poet, as a mom, as a Midwesterner, like all of these, all of the parts of myself that make me me, I had to bring to bear in this book. And I couldn't try to imagine like, well, if I was primarily a prose writer, how would I write this book? Yeah. Because then I wouldn't be myself in it. Mm -hmm. I had to just let go of the expectations of the kind of book it would be from someone else. Because that's not my book. It's the form is not separable from the content. Like it's all one package. And Saeed said, well, yeah, honey, of course you can't ghost write your own book. (laughs) And I thought that's so true. You can't try to imagine, okay, what does, what does the editor want? What does the publisher want? What does the publicist want? What is even, what does the reader want? Mm. It's not about that really. It's about what your vision is and what you want to make. And then you have to trust and hope That there will be people who get it on the other side when you're done. Um, Otherwise, I don't know, then nothing you make is really yours Mm. otherwise, right? I mean. Chelsea. Yeah.
0: And and honestly, yeah. one of my favorite things about your writing, not only is your ability to access the complexities of human emotion, the rawness, the realness of it, but also your play with nature. Can you talk mm-hmm. about your relationship with nature and how that has impacted your writing? Because what you just said is like, to me, it's just how a tree grows or a flower grows. <laughs> it can do nothing else but be authentically itself. So can you talk yeah. about that?
1: Yeah. Isn't that nice? Isn't mm-hmm. that like... You're like, well, I, you don't even have to think about what to wear in the morning. You just have leaves, yeah, <laughs> and they and they change color regardless of what you know. Like, you don't even have to think about it. Every every day is a good hair day for you, tree. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny. Oh, someone saw the cover of this book and said, um, like, how did you go with that cover design? Are you a gardener? And I was like, no, no, I can't keep anything alive, even a cactus. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not a gardener, but I am someone who loves being outside and who finds a lot of um I don't know, sort of like metaphorical reassurance in nature. Yeah. And and for like the, one of the reasons you just said, right, right, which is like it is what it is. It just is what it is. And if I get too um I don't know if I start to spiral and go into some some like not great room in my own mind and I start to lose perspective on the stakes of what's going on in my life on that particular day and how big the problem is it it always helps me to just go take a walk. It seems like the most basic thing in the world and just be like, "Oh, clouds. Oh, trees. Oh, fresh air." flowers, bird song, and just get back into my body. Yeah. And have a sensory experience and be sort of like, very literally grounded. Mm -hmm. You know, um, like to be where my feet and hands and body are instead of like, projecting into the future or ruminating about something in the past to just have a present moment experience. And I find that that's so much easier to do when I'm outside. Yeah. Um, and I, if I can't be outside, I want to be by a window. I need to have a view.
0: I see that
1: (laughs) Yeah, I do. I know my, my office is completely windows. So it's, Mm. it's incredibly helpful to have this view every day so that I'm not just a feedback loop. Yeah. You know, in my own mind. And then the other thing about, um, about the about the cover and about nature that I'd say that that means something to me. And I, I write about this in in poems. I think there are a few poems in in my last book, Goldenrod, that that talk about this, but also in the memoirs that, you know, my kids are also um really into being outside. And particularly now my son, and he is like a collector of nature treasures. Like mm. it's what he does. And you know, now he's 10, so he's doing it less than he did when he was four or five. Um, but he loves to bring home things for me. Like, mom, look at this cool acorn, or I found this Aww. like really smooth, sparkly rock, or um, sometimes I'll just find things in his pockets, you know, when I'm doing <laughs> the laundry. And so I love I love the idea of like the things coming through the back of the of the title on the book as being being these little these little nature
0: treasures. Yeah, these little touchstones, sometimes yeah. literally. Hmm. exactly exactly yeah um can you talk a little bit about your writing process is it a julia cameron morning pages situation how do you get to that clear headspace so that you can then access truth your truth humanity's truth and put it on the page
1: i i wish i had um a more sort of regular and disciplined practice i really do not i mean so much of (laughs) so much of of what is my work looks like staring into space (laughs) because that's where that's like where the factory of words, that's where it happens. It's like me sitting sometimes in this chair, looking out into the middle distance and kind of looking like I'm spacing out, but there's actually something happening in there. Mm -hmm. Um, Reading is honestly a big part of my writing process. You know, I spent two hours yesterday on my back patio reading a book um, that was so good, just so good. And I was taking notes because it was leading me to different ideas that maybe will make its way into a poem or an essay or a story or something or a lecture I give to students who knows, but even just spending a couple of hours in the sun Reading a book is part of my writing process because I'm feeding my brain and therefore getting ideas that I might metabolize and then use later. Um, for the memoir, I really did have to work every day because I had a deadline.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's not how I write poems. Like I, I like to say that I've published four books of poems, but I've never written a book of poems. Mm. Um, I write a poem at a time and it sometimes it takes One year, sometimes it takes two years, sometimes it takes five to 10 years to accrue enough poems that I'm really excited about and proud of, and that also seem related enough to live together between two covers. And I never know until I print everything out that I've written since the last book. And I see, oh my God, I've got 150 poems here. What, what, is there a book in here? Okay, I'm going to chuck these that I don't like. I'm tired of these now. Or I'm going to chuck these that I like a lot, but they feel like they're the beginning of some other thing. Hmm. But these 50, you really want to live together. So I think these might be a book. But I hadn't written them as a book. With the memoir, it was different because I had a deadline and a target word count. And I basically gave myself a year to write this book. And so when my kids went off to school at 8 a.m., I had until 3 every day to kind of go down into the mine shaft of of all of this experience dig around as much as I could write whatever I could and then keep an eye on the time so that by 2:45 <laughs> I could come back up that yeah. mine shaft completely filthy and exhausted you know from from waiting around in my in some of the most painful, but also most important moments of my adult life, rinse it off as much as I could, and then be here smiling, you know, with a snack and a how was your day when they came up the front walk. And so really for a year, I just thought about the stories that were most important that I wanted to tell. And of course, there are stories that made the first draft that didn't make book there was still a lot of cutting Mm -hmm. that had to happen
0: was that hard I mean do you feel like some of these poems some of these stories are like your children I mean you feel just this connection to this time and it's like well this isn't gonna fit or this isn't good enough do you still think about those stories after the fact that the book's been out yeah I
1: do sometimes I feel more more that way about poems than I do about you know chapters or essays I don't know if I um I feel differently about individual poems because I get I get attached to them, per, mm-hmm. probably because they take usually so long to coalesce um, that I, uh, I often feel guilty if if a poem doesn't make the book, because it's sort of like it made the farm team,
0: yeah. but like didn't
1: get to play in the major leagues, yeah. you know, it like didn't get called up. And so fewer people will read it. Then, then would read it if it made it into the book, and I, I feel a little guilty about that sometimes. But um, you know, with the memoir, I, I had to be really discerning, and and the cuts were either made because, like, you know what, that's going to give me anxiety to have that story out there, so I don't need it. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna like cushion my heart just a little bit by leaving that piece out, you know. And then there were other pieces that not for that reason, just because of the balance Mm -hmm. of different stories in the book felt like, well, I think I've said, I've said enough
0: about X. So you talk about coming back up from the mind shaft. How do you energetically clear all Mm -hmm. that away and then truly be, you know, a present mother um, with your kids after everything that you had just dug through and exercised and all of that? I mean, Honestly, how do you then move forward with the rest of your evening?
1: That's a good question. I mean, in a way, it's it's easier to pivot to parenting after writing about a like remembering a hard experience than it probably is during the hard experience. Yeah. And I parented through through all of that, too. So, um, you know, for better or for worse, I think I've grown really accustomed to. Um, parenting while grieving over the past several years. And I think, you know, there are a lot of us who, I mean, probably all of us in some way, shape, and form, whether we're grieving, um, you know, the loss of a loved one or a relationship that's ended or a friend who's ghosted us or a job we didn't get that we thought we were going to get or a diagnosis that scares us. I mean, I think we all are used to parenting through what seems like impossible emotional circumstances and yet we just do it don't we I mean somehow we're able to put on a brave face and smile and and in another way having them come home at the end of a day where I spent a lot of hours trying to figure out my own life was like well, there's the answer Mm. right it's like Then these two smiling people come up the front walk and want to tell me about their day and give me hugs. And it's like, well, okay, there it is. If I had any doubt that I'm making the right choices for myself, that I'm on the right path, that I have my priorities straight, there is like physical confirmation at the end of a long writing day that this is the life
0: I'm supposed to be living because it just feels, you know, absolutely right. Mm. There's just no doubt in my mind like you are doing exactly what you were born to do and in that process, you know, you're finding healing, finding joy, but you're uplifting every single reader, everyone who connects with your writing as well. That's so meta. I mean, that's so powerful. Like honestly, do you do you ever just kind of ruminate and I know we don't like to do this, like, but do you ever just think like, wow, like this is way bigger than I am. I'm I'm a part of something that's really impacting the rest of the world on an energetic level?
1: You know, I, I try my best to sort of like stay in my very small circle of energy and just make things Mm -hmm. so that I don't get um, overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I, I've said a million times, and it's still true if I had known how many people would read good bones, I wouldn't have ever finished that poem. Because I would have been too scared to send it out knowing how many millions of people would read it. It would never have been ready for that many eyes. It would not have been ready for all of those people I admire and respect to read it. The only thing that allowed me to send that poem out was having zero expectations mm. for what might happen with it. And so as a writer, it's it's really it's important for me not to think about those things because then I put pressure on myself and I have certain like expectations for like what the work should do and I never want to give the work a job other than just being the work
0: yeah
1: um but it does hit me in in certain moments and with with Keep Moving it happened a lot with Good Bones it happened a lot and I'm I'm finding it again with this book <clears throat> if I go to my you know my my DMs are Closed unless I follow someone. But if I go into my little requests column, I can see DMs from people that I don't know. And if I go to Facebook, which I'm almost never on, and I go to the little requests or whatever—the like secret hidden folder of stuff from people you don't know—and um, my email is on my website, so I get emails. I mean, I I have two today that I got that are sort of mind blowing. Um, like what people will say and share and the ways that they're connecting with with this book in particular and the signing line conversations I'm having with people. Mm. Like they'll co- they're coming up at the end of a book event to have their book signed or personalized and the things that people are saying and disclosing to me about their own lives. Um, I had a woman come up uh, at a reading recently, and disclosed something really painful, and I just looked at her and I was just like, "Can I give you a hug? Mm-hmm. Like I just don't feel like I can sit here signing your book and acting like you didn't just tell me this really personal and painful thing that you just told me. Mm-hmm. And we just stood there holding each other really tightly, like not like strangers at a book event mm-hmm. um for like longer than you would normally hug a stranger yeah. and tighter than you would normally hug a stranger. And so, you know, people are bringing cards and letters and things to, to events that I'm then taking home and reading later. And it's incredibly overwhelming and humbling and honestly just a privilege to feel like somebody feels like they are connected enough to me and my work and that they trust me enough mm-hmm. as a human being with that disclosure with that information. And maybe it's because I've given them all of this. And they're like, well, <laughs> she yeah. told us what has been going on in her life. So I can tell her what's going yeah. on in mine.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but it it feels um, yeah, it's 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 wonderful to have a real human connection mm-hmm. with someone that I, I I'm meeting for the first time, or maybe that I will never meet because of something that I've sort of sent out into the world, like a message in a bottle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And writing has been such a healer in your own life to the woman listening. Who's never written a poem has never written anything besides school assignments. uh, How, how could writing possibly help her discover herself, bring in more self-awareness and healing? Oh my
1: gosh. I, I mean, I don't know what I think until I write it down. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing to me that there are people who process their experience without writing. It's such second nature to me. Um you mentioned Julia Cameron's morning pages. I think for someone who doesn't think of themselves as a writer, journaling or doing morning pages where you're just doing automatic writing and not censoring yourself, you're not thinking that you're going to mail it any to anyone. You don't even need to show your roommate, your best friend, your sister, your partner. It's just for you, right? But I do think that even if you don't think of yourself as a writer, processing things on paper can help you access different things that you can't always get to just um, mulling it over in your mind. I mean, I know for myself, I've been writing for, I mean, since I was 13 years old. So I've been writing for what, how many years is that? 33 years. That's a really long time. And I still don't know where a piece of writing is going or what I might learn
0: mm-hmm.
1: when I start. And so writing this memoir, I would get half, I mean, I would get to a chapter and be writing it and think, oh, that's how this is connected to this other thing. I never made the connection that this experience is like this other experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm i obviously thinking about my life and pr- processing things on paper constantly. And it still took doing it in this prolonged, deep way for me to see those connections. So I, I would encourage anyone who feels like the slightest bit lost or like they need to kind of figure out and get some clarity on their lives right now to pick up a pen and paper. (laughs)
0: Mm, I love it. I love it. Okay. We are Definitely at the end of time, Maggie, if there were any final message that you would want to leave with the woman listening to this or the man uh, on writing, on the book, on life, what would that be? <laughs> I love that. Or
1: the man. I mean, there are. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are men. There are men. I mean, I I think one of the things that I realized in, in the middle of my life is that, um. I wasn't sure where I had let some things go to, right? I think a lot of us, especially as parents, we get to a place in our thirties, our forties, our fifties. And we think, where was that? Remember the fun, the fun, less um, sort of like less fettered me. Like mm-hmm. remember me before and the before times before mm-hmm. every day was work and soccer practice and piano and packing lunches. And where where did that person go, um, and chances are, if you're in a relationship, you may be missing your partner in that way, and your partner may be missing some of those pieces of you. And so, one of the things I would I would say is like, what are, what parts of your life in midlife can you reclaim? You know, so like think of midlife instead of like midlife crisis. What if we flipped that around and thought of it as like midlife recovery, mm. right? Like reclamation of self. What things? are important to you that you maybe didn't pursue. What things used to be a ton of fun for you that you kind of like haven't done in a while, whether it's going to see live music or roller skating or, or running or spending more time with your friends and like start to make and carve out intentional time for those things that make you, you apart from your job, your partner, your children, like just you as an independent human being. And I think it will also help those other areas and
0: relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maggie, it was such a pleasure to have you back on the show. Where can our listeners find you online and get the book?
1: Oh, well, um, I can be found at Maggie Smith Poet, um, because I'm the poet, not the dame. So it's, it's easier to find me. If you Google Maggie Smith, you will get the dame. But if you Google (laughs) Maggie Smith Poet, you will get to my website. And that's also my Twitter handle and my instagram handle and um on my website you can find your way to my book you can find your way to my substack newsletter you can find where i'm traveling to to teach and give readings and
0: and that's probably the the best place to go so amazing thank you so much for taking time to be on the show and uh for obviously diving deep and creating this book that i know is helping so many people all over the world thank you oh thank you This episode is sponsored by Warmies, your new go to for a cozy and comfortable sleep experience for you or your kids. These plushies are adorable, but they're designed to provide you with the soothing warmth you need for a good night's rest. Warmies are made with premium quality materials that can be microwaved, providing you with the perfect amount of heat to ease pain and promote relaxation. I love the lavender scent. It diffuses throughout the entire room and is immediately calming to me and my kids. So whether you need a comforting hug after a long day or sleep aid to ease insomnia, Warmies are here to provide you with the perfect solution. And for a limited time, use my code ELIZABETHC15 to save 15% off your order. Try Warmies today and experience the warmth of comfort like never before.